Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this week, we hope you'll join us next Sunday at 9 a.m. for Sunday school or 10 a.m. for worship. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. And um, while you're getting there, I just want to say I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we're continuing our series called The New You, where we're traveling through the book of Ephesians. Remember, this entire letter is about identity formation, who you are in Christ Jesus, the new you through Christ. The book divides into two major sections. The first three chapters are more the theological Sections. It's where Paul paints a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us and who we are as this new person. It's filled with theology, which is all about the why behind the application, which is what he turns the corner in, in chapter 4 on. It's all about now, here's why you do it, now here's what you need to do. And Paul gets extremely practical. He gets extremely practical about our new identity, the new things we should be doing because we're in Christ Jesus. And remember, he's talking to people who didn't grow up as Christians. They weren't raised in a Christian home with Christian parents to go to Sunday school and all that stuff. So this is all very new to them. And remember, at the beginning of chapter 4, he urges them to walk worthy of their calling or to live a life worthy of their calling in Christ. And he, last week you heard about him you, um, urging the church to be unified around Jesus about what they believe in and what they do. And in chapter 4, verse 17, he kind of turns the corner and now he instructs you how to personally live or, or personally walk. But here's the thing about this section, and you're going to see it, is Paul focuses on our thinking. He tells us to engage our mind when it comes to our faith. Christianity has always been a thinking faith. It's always been a reading faith. It's not just, hey, someone says it, so you believe it. We should always engage our mind. And what Paul says here and, and what he gets at is basically, you can't bring your old way of thinking into your new life. You can't bring the old way that you used to do things and how you thought about life and how you thought about everything. You can't bring this into this new you, this new person in Christ Jesus. Because you know, as well as I do, what you think directs what you would do. And it's a super simple concept, but it's not always easy to apply. And a lot of times we're just unaware that we're bringing an old way into a new way. Right? We're all creatures of habits. Uh, for example, we all do this when we first get married. Anybody ever been married, thought about married, or know someone married? Well, good. Sign up for the marriage conference. It's coming up in two weeks. All right, last plug on that. All right, but keep going. So, but all of us, we start off marriage by bringing our single life into it. We could do what we want, when we want, with whoever we want. We didn't have to talk to anybody about it. In fact, our rooms could be whatever we wanted them to be. Our houses could look however we wanted. In fact, did you know when you were single, you could set something down and it didn't move until you moved it? Yeah, but when you're married, that doesn't happen, does it? Yeah, we all can't, we can't bring that single way of looking at life when we get married. Because as you know, marriage is like a three-legged rice where you're attached to somebody else. And everything you do affects what they do, and everything they do affects how you be. It's just this big thing. And so when you get married, you can't say, well, it's not how it used to be. Because there's a new reality. There's something different. And so you've got to adjust your thinking. 
You've probably seen this at work. You maybe hired somebody, you're at a new job, and you think about what used to be at the last place. Uh, for instance, when I was in the Army National Guard, a lot of people would join that used to be Marines. I guess they were Marines, they got out, they, they missed the military, so they decided to join the Army National Guard, and all they talked about is what they did as a Marine. What we'd say is, you're not in the Marines. If you wanted to be in the Marines, go to the Marines, but you're in the Army now. So you have to adjust your thinking. You can't bring that way into this way. It's different. We have to adjust it. You see, just because our situation changes doesn't mean our thinking automatically does. We have to be aware and change it. And so you can't bring that old way into the new way. And if you were to understand that concept, if you were to understand that's what's driving the do's and don'ts behind the Bible, you would have a much better time and enjoying reading and applying what it says. Because the Bible, like I've told you before, I used to think the Bible was a book where God just tried to limit my fun. He told me all the things I was supposed to do that I didn't want to do, and all the things I didn't want to do, he said I wasn't supposed to do. It got tiring. But then when I found out that it's not that, that he's trying to tell me to adjust my thinking, that there's a new way, a better way, well, then it really changed. You see, you can't bring your old way of living life without Christ into this new life in Christ. And so Paul exposes this problem. He exposes the why. Why can't I bring my old way of thinking? Well, he's about to tell us. He's going to say, because that old way of thinking wasn't leading to a place you thought it was. Look at this, Ephesians 4, verse 17. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. So he's about to get into the pointlessness of their thinking. But what's interesting, we're going to stop here for a second, is he says, you Gentiles can no longer live as Gentiles. In fact, the way he's wording this and what he's about to say, he's using Gentile in a very negative way. And who's he talking to? Gentiles. So he's using who they are in a negative. He's like, hey, by the way, you Americans, you can't be Americans any longer. We're like, pfft. What do you mean by that? Well, he's about to tell them. He's about to say, so you Gentiles, you can no longer live that way. He's basically using the term Gentile as you would, or somebody would, the idea of pagan. Somebody without God. But if we followed Paul's thoughts, pay attention, this is really important. Because if we followed Paul's thoughts throughout this letter, what we have seen him say is you are no longer a Gentile in Christ. What we've seen him say is you no longer are just an American in Christ. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter your culture. In Christ, we're new. We're different. Our identity is now rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ. All that other stuff that used to divide you, you don't bring that into this new thing, this new way, this Jesus thing. So our heritage now is in Christ. Our identity is now found in him. So we no longer live like that. All of our past, all of us start the same way as sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Through Christ, we've been justified, we've been sanctified, we've been redeemed, we've been rescued. All of us, right, that's what Gary talked about last week, all of us have that in common, and we come together in Christ Jesus. He's going to describe why. He says, they, this is the Gentile, their old way of thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So the problem isn't just sin. The problem is the way they've approached life, the way they think about life and the actions they carry out. 
You see, here's what's wrong, he says, with this thinking, this old way, a life without Christ, a life not rooted in God's word. He says you're darkened in your understanding. What this means is the light has gone out. You know, light represents good, darkness represents evil, and he says they have nothing but darkness illuminated their path, which means their path isn't very illuminated now, is it, if it's full of darkness? He says because they're separated from the life of God. That means they have no relationship with them. But it isn't because God didn't want a relationship with them. No, he says it's something different. He says it's hardening of the hearts has caused this ignorance. They continued to reject God. They continued to live in ignorance. They didn't want anything to do with him. So what Paul is saying is they willfully ignored God. They willfully rejected God. They turned from it. And it's not because they didn't want to know It's not because they couldn't know. It's because they didn't want to know. They turned from a life of God. They chose to disobey him willfully, which means they separated from him. It's kind of like a ball rolling downhill. When it starts, you know, it builds up momentum and it keeps going and going. That's what Paul's saying. The old way of thinking, this life without God, the way you're thinking, it leads to a place you're not expecting. It takes you down a path that something else happens. See, there's nothing as being neutral. Excuse me, there's no such thing as just being neutral. We're headed towards closer to God or we're being pulled away from him, Paul's saying. He says this. So of 18, he says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Having all lost, having lost all sensitivity, says they're, they're taken to a place where morality doesn't matter. They're not ashamed. They're not even embarrassed. Things that would have embarrassed you are sort of at the past. Now they're just openly doing it, meaning it doesn't even matter. They're living a life that whatever feels right, whatever seems good to me, whatever I want to do, well, you can't tell me what to do. It's all about me and my way and my view. He says their pointless thinking has led them to a life to do whatever they feel right whenever they want to do it. But here's Paul's point. This kind of life is meaningless. A life without God is meaningless. A life without God has our human minds twisted and distorted. We can't live like this, this darkened path, because it takes us to a place void of God. It takes us to a place without his guidance and his illumination in our life. Because here's the big idea, as we read in chapter 1 through 3, if God is God, then he gets to define what's right and what's wrong. Are you following me? It's kind of a perk of being God. If you create it, you get to say what's allowed. For example, the illustration breaks down, but how about this? If you start a business, do you get to tell your employees what to wear, what time to come to work, how to behave, and how much money they make? Do you get to tell them that? If you own your own company? Or y'all not, I'll start over if we're not following this. If you own a company, do you get to define what's right and what's wrong? You say, of course. Isn't it weird that we want to limit God more than we do our bosses? We expect our bosses to tell us these things, and we expect to fall in line with them. When it comes to God, we're like, well, right, but he's God. He created it all. So Paul's point is don't live like a pagan. Live as the new creation. Don't live a life without God. Live as the new creation. Here's what he says in verse 20. He says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned 
when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. He says you've been schooled in Christ or you should be schooled in Christ. He's our example. He's the one we follow. Christ is the truth of this world. Which should remind you, it should remind me, the reason why we go to Sunday school, the reason why we have small groups is to learn more about Christ. It's to be schooled in him, to understand him, to learn about him, to be rooted in him. So I want to encourage you while we're here, this idea of learning and being taught in Christ, to take that step. Take that serious. Get involved in a small group or a Sunday school and really learn about Christ because you can't guide your own spiritual life. That's not how it works. You need people to live life with and understand this. You see, truth is a person. And today I've been watching shows and, and different things like that. There's a popular phrase. You've probably heard it, this idea of my truth. Have you heard that? This idea of this is my truth. Yeah, that's a new popular thing today. But remember, truth is whom? Yeah, truth is Jesus. Truth isn't subjective. Truth is objective. And it's a person. And so that's why we want to be schooled in Christ to learn about the truth, about Jesus Christ, the objective truth of the world. He says this, verse 22, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So the imagery here is clothing. You want to take off that old way, that life before Christ, those things you used to do, the way you used to think, all of that. You want to take that off because the old way corrupts, which means we want to put on something new. Here's what he says. To be made new in the attitudes of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says you want to do three things we're going to look, but he says you've got to take off, which means it's active. It doesn't come automatically. Just like when you get married, you don't automatically think a new way. When you become a Christian or you take following Jesus serious, it doesn't happen automatically. You've got to be intentional about taking that old way off and putting this new thing on. He says three things. He says the new attitude of your mind, which means change the way you think. Right, remember, we have a thinking faith. He says, put on the new self. The imagery is clothing. Take off the old clothes. Put on the new clothes. The old clothes are dirty and shameful. Put on the newness of Christ. He says, because we are a new creation in Christ. This idea of true holiness, true righteousness. Righteousness means justice and morality. Holy, holiness means to be dedicated to God, to be pure. See, the new creation, this new person in Christ is a life dedicated to him. A life in service to him. Remember, this group of people isn't coming from an atheistic background, which means, you know, they didn't say, well, we don't know if there's a God, we're going to do whatever. They come from other religions which taught them this is how you worship. This is what should be important. This is how you do things in life. Like, we all have values. Did you know that? Yeah, we all have things that are important. What he's saying that in Christ there's a new value system. There's a new way. There's a new life. you got to take off that old stuff. And put on this new stuff. In other words, he's saying the old way corrupts, the new way renews. That's his big idea here. The old way corrupts, the new way renews. There's two different paths we can take. And they don't lead to the same place. We can take the path of corruption, which is going to lead to this place that we don't want anybody telling us what to do. Right? This lack of authority. It's my way. I got it figured out. Or we can have this new path, this new creations, this 
other place under the authority of God. And that's where we'll be refreshed and renewed. You see, if you have areas of your life that are falling apart, if you have areas of your life that aren't refreshing, that aren't rejuvenating, are you following the paths of Christ? Or are you following this other one of corruption? And I wish there was a neutral ground, don't you? This one that Paul's like, well, you could take this and it's neutral. It's not really bad. It's not really good. It's just kind of neutral. But Paul doesn't paint that picture. There's no such thing as something being neutral. Where they're following the path of Christ, where they're growing to become more like him, or we're headed down this other one that corrupts. And the way of Christ renews. It'll renew your life. It'll renew your relationships. It'll renew your entire being. It'll be refreshing. It'll be satisfying. So let me ask, is your, ref- is your marriage refreshing you? Do your finances refresh you or stress you? Do your friendships refresh you or stress you? Does your job, your career, does it refresh you or stress you? See, that's the idea of the past of Christ and the way he's told us to handle things will refresh. If you're living a life full of stress, I love you. But if you're living a life full of stress, you're not following Christ. You're following you. You think you're in control and you got it. But we're not. He is. The refreshness that comes from him. See, Christ teaches us how to refresh. We are being renewed in him. You see, the Christian life, and one I didn't know for a long time, it's holistic. It's not just about dying and going to heaven. It's so much more. It's about living for him every single day. You see, when I brought my old way of thinking into following Christ, it wasn't compatible. I had to realize that true friends weren't this. Y'all ever had to stop having, being friends with somebody because you were just like, I don't want to go down the path you're going down? I don't want that influence in my life. How, how you're doing things isn't what I want in my life. Yes, sometimes when you start following Christ, you realize that I can't, I can't hang out with some people anymore. I had to learn what true financial success looked like. It looks differently in Christ. I had to learn what true marriage looked like and what it looked like to honor God in that. You see, because Jesus tells us in John 10, 10 that he has come to give us an abundant life. I had a satisfying life. And I ask you, is your life satisfying? Do you feel like it's an abundance, not abundance of stress, right? Like that's not what he's saying. Do you feel that your life is full? Are you living it to the fullest in Christ, this satisfaction? Because the Bible teaches us how to get there. It teaches us how to get this life of peace, of satisfaction, of joy and contentment. And if we were to change our thinking and realize that God really is for us, He really does love us. He really does want the best for us. Perhaps, and maybe for you, and it did for me, I started taking the instructions of the Scripture serious. I came to find out the new way renews and the old way corrupts, and i got to get my thinking aligned with the Scripture. We no longer run from God. We run towards Him. Even when they're hard, even when it says things we don't like, we run towards them. And allow him to speak with different goals and different activities. What Paul's saying is our thinking has to change. Our thinking has to change in Christ because the old way corrupts and the new way renews. But he's not done. Now he's going to start listing out application. What does this look like? You're like, well, I don't, I don't know what that means. Well, good. Paul isn't done. And what we have to see is that Paul's not telling us just this lifestyle. It's not just behavior modification. He's not just saying don't do things. 
He's saying, don't do one thing, but instead do something else. Take off one way and put on a new way. He's not telling you to run around naked, basically, okay? He's telling you to take off the corrupt and put on the new. Change things up. It's kind of like dental care. Anybody ever went to the dentist? So you don't want to participate, but you feel kind of bad for not raising your hand right now, right? How about this? Anybody ever brush their teeth? Raise your hand if you ever brush your teeth. You'll feel bad for not raising your hand, right? Okay, you brush your teeth. It's kind, of, it's kind of like that. We all know sugar gives us cavities, but it's not enough just to quit eating sugar. You actually got to get out your toothpaste. You got to put the toothpaste on it, and you got to scrub your teeth down, right? You got to do more than not just doing something. And that's what Paul's saying. You don't just quit doing things. You replace it with something better. You see, God's word, God's lifestyle will refresh your soul. It'll refresh your life. It'll bring something new and better to it. So he says this in Ephesians 4, 25. He says, replace lying with the truth. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. He says, tell the truth. The old way of life, you know, it was cover me and mine. Whatever it takes to get ahead, whatever it takes to protect, protect, even if I have to lie, I'm good. He says, no, replace that with now you tell the truth. He says, replace anger with peace. Verse 26, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. You see, the old way of life you used to fester anger. We used to let anger dictate what we do. We used to seek revenge. We used to want to get even. But here he says, listen, deal with your anger. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let it fester. Don't let it just build up and build up. Deal with it. You see, anger happens, and you probably know this already. Anger happens when you feel like somebody owes you something or they've done something against you. Right? It's like, I've been wronged, so you owe me. So now I'm mad and I'm angry, but Jesus teaches us in Matthew 18 how to deal with that, doesn't he? Did you know Jesus teaches us how to deal with that kind of sin in Matthew 18? If you didn't go home and read it, it's really good. He explains to you what you do in those steps. But he says, don't let it fester. Instead of it, don't give Satan the opportunity to grab hold of that and start playing scenarios out in your mind on what you need to do or how you can get them back. He says, deal with that anger. Deal with it. Go to the person, talk to them. Verse 28, he says, replace stealing with giving. He says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. I love this verse because it kind of blows our mind. It really has everything in Christianity wrapped in it. You would figure, like, remember the Ten Commandments, do not steal, right? We've heard that, don't steal. But Paul said, no, don't just, don't steal, give. Don't just stop doing something, start doing something. So instead of just not stealing, hey, go to work so you can have money to give away. Be generous. Christians aren't called to just take. We're not just consumers. We're to generously give back. And he says replace negativity with positivity. Don't nudge your spouse or the person next to you during this one, okay? Verse 29. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. <laughs> Paul says if instead of tearing people down, are you building people up? In fact, anything you say or everything you say should build up the people who hear it. 
Is that convicting or what? Right, this idea of, why well, I just got to get it off my chest. If you getting it off your chest helps build them up, then go for it. And if it doesn't build up the person you're talking to, perhaps you should take it to your prayer closet and get it off your chest in front of God. Our words are powerful, aren't they? He says, don't be negative. Take that stuff to your prayer closet. Go, go deal with that between the Lord. But what you say, build people up. Then he adds this in verse 30. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is a just-in-case-I-miss-something statement. Our behavior can disappoint God. Did you know that? And this verse blows me away because it really paints the picture of who God is, our loving Father. Not a spiteful God that's out to get you, that wants to harm you. The idea is that when your kids do something, you know how you're like, ah. Like, man, I just, I don't want that for you. Like, I know where that leads, and I know what happens. Like, I don't want that. That's the idea of him grieving us, grieving the spirit that he wants the best for us. He wants to bless us. But instead, we can do things where he's going, ah, I don't, it's just not going to go well for you, Brian. I'm just telling you, it's not going to go well. Then he says, replace resentful attitudes with well-meaning attitudes. Look at 31. He says, and get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Look at this next part. Forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in in Christ God forgave you. He's instead of being resentful or hurtful, we want to look out for people. We want to build them up. And this is one of the most powerful statements in the Bible about forgiveness. We forgive because Christ forgave. As Christ went to the cross and was beaten and shamed for us and our sin, that's, the, that's how we should forgive. We should be willing to forgive people for all sorts of things. I heard a line about forgiveness that said this, forgiveness can't change the past, but it can change the future. Forgiveness can't change the past, but it can change the future. Our forgiveness in Christ didn't change what we did, but it changes where we're going. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. The big idea that Paul's getting at is the old way corrupts. The old way of doing things alone by yourself, saying, I got it, I don't need anybody. That old way of life, we've all lived there It's not the Christian life. There's a new way, a new thing that'll renew and refresh your soul. And now Paul isn't giving us an exhaustive list like this is all there is. He's given us general examples that we can then critically think of how it applies to other situations. But he's saying there's a path that leads to corruption, that old way of without Christ that leads somewhere where you don't want to go. But there's a new better way, a new life where you can be refreshed refreshed. See, our goal in life is to be led by the Spirit, not just look for verses that support what we do or we don't do. It's this whole identity thing of who we are in Jesus Christ. And so I ask, we're about done, is what's influencing you? Because what influences us affects our thinking, and you know that. But what's shaping the way you think? What are you watching? Are the TV shows you're watching, are they building you up or are they tempting you down another path? What are you listening to? Music has a way of influencing us like so many other things, like nothing else can. 
Are you putting things that build you up? Is the music building you up? We have a, what's that radio station, Rocky? What's that Christian radio station? I, I should know that, right? If I'm going to talk about listening to music, I should have that written down. I stream everything now. My point is there's plenty of good Christian music out there. Get you an app down or look up worship hits or look up Christian music. I mean, anybody have streaming services other than me? Four of us, okay, four of us, you could type it in. Type in worship music. There's all sorts of good stuff. I'm trying to get Scott to listen to it so he'll get some new songs. I don't know what he listens to. But really, I can't emphasize it enough. Do you know, and I promise you, test me, I guarantee that if you listen to nothing but worship music for about two weeks, watch how your attitude changes. Watch how your heart starts to soften. I mean, worship music can do so many things. It really refreshes you. So what are you listening to? And what are you reading? I know there are popular books that people love to read and everybody talks about, but are you reading things that build you up in your faith or are they putting cracks in your marriages or in your jobs or the way you think? You get my point. And who are you hanging out with? Do your friends have your same values? Are they trying to raise the kids up the way you are? Are they trying to do the same things with the the, the finances that you are, they, they got the good same goals as you. Are they building you up, enforcing your Christian life? Or are they pulling you towards something different? Paul says, listen, the old way corrupts. Talking about the sovereignty of God and who he is, the old way corrupts. But this new way, this new thing in Christ will renew and refresh your soul. If you want to be refreshed, if you're going to be rejuvenated, if you want to have joy and contentment, all of those things we strive for, what Paul is saying, it's found by following Jesus Christ. You don't need to look at the next popular thing or the next new way. It's found in Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we're so thankful and grateful in the new life we have in Jesus. Lord, you are remaking us and molding us into something new and something beautiful that's holy for your purposes. Father, help challenge our thinking. Help us understand that we've all been influenced by a life of sin. We've all learned to, learn to live a life without you. Father, help us learn and embrace the path that you have for us. The path of following Jesus and being generous and loving and kind. Oh God, use us for your glory. Father, I know that we all here want to be renewed. We want to be refreshed. Help us discover how your word can refresh our souls like nothing else. We love you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.